Turning to Luke chapter 12, we will be talking about stewardship this afternoon, somewhat indirectly, but somewhat directly as well. So we read James chapter 4, the end of James chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 5, and we see James admonishing a couple of groups. He uses that, that expression, come now, or listen up, hey, let me have your attention, right? indicating they were not doing what they were supposed to be doing, and, and two different groups. The one group in chapter 4 were making plans revolving around their desires in this present life. And he says, hey, you don't know what's coming. You should know that you're going to die, but you don't know when it's going to happen. And, and, and you don't know whether God's going to let you do what it is that you're planning to do. So your, your plans should be then taking into consideration, what is God's ultimate goal? What is God wanting me to accomplish? Not, what do I want to do in order to just make more money? All right, then the second group in chapter 5, he says, hey, listen up, you rich. Hey, your attention. You guys are living in this lavish lifestyle while you're holding back the pay from these starving workers. You're being very selfish so that you can have this cushy lifestyle. Well, Jesus teaches a parable here in Luke chapter 12 that actually illustrates both of those. It's kind of a combination of the, of the two. Uh, and it's typically called the parable of the rich fool. That might be the heading that you see uh, there in your copy of the scriptures. That's where we get the title from. There's no fool like a rich fool. So the parable starts in verse 16. I'm just going to read through that quickly, and then we'll kind of zoom out into the context. It says, He told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods, laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for your love to us. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts that would be open to change. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to submit ourselves to your authority and help us to be rich towards you, not to ourselves. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the way this text was explained, this parable was explained to me uh, by preachers as I was growing up, chapel speakers and such, uh, I, I was very confused. Uh, maybe it's obvious to you what, what's going on in this parable, but I was always confused. The way it was presented to me, uh, it, it sounded kind of like this guy has a whole bunch of crops and he says, hey, I need to, I, I need to use these crops in the future. I, I should store them up. Kind of like Joseph did what he told Pharaoh. Hey, we've got all this extra coming in for seven years. We need to store it up for years when we don't have as much. So that didn't seem very foolish to me. And then God shows up in the scene, which is kind of 
different than most parables. And God says to him, you're a fool. I didn't understand that. It seemed like he was being kind of wise. And, and God calls him a fool. And then it seemed like God killed him for what he did. And I thought, why is God killing somebody just for being foolish? What is going on with this parable? And at the end, it seems like he's saying, hey, you need to be rich toward God. So is the application put more money in the offering box, right? What does he mean? What's going on with this? And so, you know, in studying this passage uh, this past couple of weeks, I've really enjoyed actually coming to understand what he's talking about here. Because uh, what Jesus is doing is he's actually taking away a lot of anxiety that we can tend to have in this life. And what he's doing is trying to cause us to, to fear the Lord and have good theology. Fear the Lord and have good theology. So where was I missing the boat? Well, first of all, God didn't kill him because of the details in the parable. All right, that's the first thing I, I want us to make sure we understand. When, when God says to him, he shows up in the parable, and he says, this night your soul is required of you. What he's saying is, your life has come to an end. And, and it's not your life to do with it what you want. It's a stewardship. God has given you this opportunity to use your life for a certain amount of time, and then it expires, and you give it back. And you're held accountable then for how you used that stewardship God gave to you. And he's saying to him, you're at the end. You don't have all those years you thought you had that you needed to lay up all of this food for. Today's the last day. All right, so God comes to him and says, you're dying today. This is your dying day. Therefore, it's foolish of you to be so short-sighted as to say, all I need to do is figure out a way to stay comfortable and well-fed on the earth. He's like, you're too short-sighted. There's, there's eternity coming. And you should have been thinking in terms of, what do I do in the short term in order to lay up treasure for eternity? So, first, first problem that, uh, that he had, God calls him a fool because he was short-sighted. We see that in, in verse 21. The first part, he says, this is the one who lays up treasure for himself. I'm sorry, it's the second half. First part is that he was selfish. Sorry, I, sh I should read my notes every once in a while. First reason is because he was selfish, right? What does he say in beginning of verse 21? This is the one who lays up treasure for himself. And, and as you reread that parable, you'll notice he talks about himself a lot, right? I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones. I will store up all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Right? All of the focus is on himself. Very self-centered. And so what is he doing? He's trying to make sure he has a cushy life here. He's, he's trying to take away all of his anxiety for how he's going to survive long-term. Very self-centered, very self-focused. And so... Because of his selfishness, God calls him a fool. But secondly, because he is short-sighted. He's not rich towards God. So he's not laying up treasures in heaven. He's putting everything in on this part of his life. So he focuses everything on accumulating great wealth here. And, and, and part of why God calls him a fool is because he's not going to enjoy it. 
Your whole life is, is culminating in this one moment when you've got all these riches and you, you don't even have the space to put them in. So you've got to build bigger barns. And God goes, and you're not going to ever see those barns built. You're not going to eat any of that food. You're not going to enjoy any of that pleasure. Somebody who didn't do a lick of work is going to get it all. You fool. You, you invested all your energy and all of your efforts into this goal that you're not going to get to enjoy because you're too short-sighted. You're laying up treasures on the earth. It's not a good plan. So that's why God is calling him a fool. And, and the point of his death is that that just happened to be the day when he was going to die. God says, this is it. The expiration date was today. If you were a, milk, a carton of milk, it would be stamped on right on the top there. This is your last day. And you never considered how short your life is. You never focused on anything beyond this world. Now, I say that this includes anxiety, right? And maybe you're saying, I don't see anxiety in the text. Well, when we back away from the parable, we see that, that Jesus in this, in this whole section of this chapter, from the very beginning to to the whole longer section right after this, he's talking about fear and anxiety. And, and he tells the disciples, this is the lesson you should learn from this parable, is not to be anxious about life. Right? So the, the solution is to have a good theology, is to trust in God. And we'll see that as we, as we work through this. Another topic that Jesus addresses in this section, not just fear and anxiety, but also covetousness and greed covetousness and greed and so when we start to back away from the parable a little bit and we say what brought about this whole discussion why is jesus telling this parable look back at verse 13 it says someone in the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me but he said to him man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you and he said to them take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, right? So the lead end of this is this discussion where a guy says, hey, I want you to be an arbitrator. I want you to be the judge. Tell my brother to give me my fair share. And Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But let me warn you about your covetousness. And so part of the reason for this parable is to illustrate covetousness or, or, or greed towards earthly things, towards wealth, is very short-sighted. There's more to life than that. There's a whole lot more to life than that. And, and, and those who have a right theology Jesus is going to teach are not going to be anxious about this, but it should drive them away from being covetous as well. All right? So he's dealing with fear and anxiety. He's dealing with covetousness and greed. And all of this kind of fits behind a mask of hypocrisy. And we see that in, in, in verse 1. So previous to this, we have the Pharisees coming and trying to trap Jesus. Right? The, the verse right before this in chapter 11, it says, They were lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And so what does Jesus say? It says, In the meantime... So many thousands of the people, literally myriads of the people, had gathered together so much that they were trampling one another. Right? This is like Black Friday sale. Okay? So, so imagine you know, a mall that could handle at least 10,000 people, and the doors fly open, and everybody wants to get whatever the special deal is. 
and they're trampling over them. These people are trampling over each other, but, but they're trying to get to Jesus. And, and this one guy in the midst of the, the trample, that's why it says in verse 13, someone in the crowd. What crowd? This thousands and thousands of people breaks through. He finally gets to Jesus. And he's like, hey, I, I got I to gotta get your help. Right? So, but what does he say right after that? Back to verse 1. So many thousands of people gathered together. They were trampling one another. He began to say to his disciples first. So he's going to teach the whole crowd, but he says it to his disciples first. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. We just heard about this last Sunday, right? And, and Pastor alluded to this, that, that here in Luke, he says that the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. This is the mask that they're wearing to hide what they truly are. Here they are pretending like they're righteous, but really what they are is covetous and greedy. And, and, and we see that, uh, we, we see Jesus dealing with that in the book of Luke, uh, back in chapter 11, for example. Verse 39, 1139. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Later in chapter 16, he talks about how much they love money. And yet here they are pretending like they're so holy and so righteous. And he says, You guys are greedy, you're covetous. But you hide that behind this mask of hypocrisy. They also were, were short-sighted, and they, they also had fear and anxiety. They had secrets. And Jesus says here in verse 2, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. You're like, you Pharisees, you're hypocrites, but that mask is going to come off. And if that causes you to be anxious, if, if you're sitting here and you're saying, yeah, I've been wearing a mask all this time. Jesus is not just ripping that mask off and saying, ha ha, he's offering to you hope. He's offering to you a, a relief from that fear and that anxiety. He's offering you a solution to greed and covetousness, just as he does to the folks here, this big crowd. So, as he's dealing with fear and anxiety, he mentions it over and over and over again that, that God cares for us. That this, this idea of, I've got to have these things, or I've got to amass a fortune because of all these great needs. And he says, you, you really don't. You really don't. In fact, fearing God drives out all other fear. And so, verse 4, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do. I mean, that, that always strikes me as a little funny, right? Now, you can kill my body, but then what are you going to do? You know, what more can you do? But he, here he's saying, but God can do so much more. So don't fear the ones who are limited to physical attacks on you. He says, I warn you uh, whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. So Jesus says, hey, you're, you're too short-sighted if all you're focused in on is this life. If you're thinking, how do I stay alive? How do I stay, stay fed? How do I make sure I've got clothes on? How do, how do I make sure all my bills are paid? He's like, you're, you're thinking way too short-sighted. There's something much more worrisome, fearsome, 
beyond this life. That needs to have more of your attention than what people can do to you in this life. But then he says, he says, yes, I tell you, fear him, but are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. He said, if you fear God, you have no need to fear anything else. Because God, fear of God drives out every other fear. We've worked through this before. The fear of the Lord is, is a constant awareness of God's presence and his power and his character. And as we focus in on the fact that God is always with us, that there's no limit to his power, and his character is one that moves towards us in love, if we are his children, then there's nothing in this world, there's nothing outside of this world. There's nothing for all eternity that we can fear. Those who are still behind the mask, he says, you fear him. He is one to be feared because his his power and his character against sin is one of wrath. So yes, fear him. But if you are trusting in him, if you're believing him, if you're looking to his son and you're living, you don't have any reason to fear. Because his character and power and presence will drive out all fears. So fear not. You're worth more than all of these other things that he's talking about. He goes, he goes God notices even when those little sparrows fall down. But he cares more for you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Like he's, he's intimately aware of what your needs are, who you are, and, 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 and what needs to happen for you to be what you are meant to be, what, what he has designed you to be. All right? So fear of the Lord drives out all other fears. Then he starts talking about the fear of man, fear of people. Verses 8 and 9. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. We've been talking about how do we share our faith and, and who are you burdened to bring to Jesus? And you say, well, I'm just too afraid to do that. I'm too anxious about talking to people about Jesus. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? And he says, hey, if you're too ashamed... To, to take a stand for me now, then I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna I'm gonna deny you in front of the angels of God. So again, don't be so short-sighted that you think what's gonna happen in this lifetime. He says, start thinking eternal. What happens when you're standing before my father's throne? What happens when you're standing before me? Am I going to acknowledge you? Am I gonna to, to tell them that you are mine? Or by your life are you demonstrate you're not really mine. And deny me, I, I'll deny you. But again, fear of the Lord drives out the fear of man. Verse 11, he says, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in the very hour what you ought to say. And some have, have argued, well, this is a promise just for the disciples. Maybe that's the case. But here he's saying, hey, you're, if you stand for me, you take a stand for me, you might end up in, in pers being persecuted. You might end up in a legal problem, standing before the religious authorities of your day. He said, don't be anxious. Holy Spirit's going to teach you exactly what you should say. 
So don't worry about that. Just keep, keep taking a stand, keep acknowledging me before men. And then he comes to verse 13, and here's where this gentleman comes. And, 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 and what is this guy saying to Jesus? He says, hey, my brother needs to divide our inheritance and give some to me. And you say, well, what's that all about? Well, there's, this, there's debate about this. Okay, So in Deuteronomy, it tells us that the firstborn of, of the Jewish clan was supposed to get a double portion. All right, so if you're, if you're in a household with two children, two sons, the eldest one will get two-thirds. The youngest one would get one-third. You say, that doesn't seem fair. Well, recognize that they did a lot of stuff as the clan. And so if the dad is dead, then the oldest brother takes over as leader of the clan. He's responsible to take care of the whole family inheritance. He's, he's responsible to take care of uh, his mother He's responsible to take care of any invalid family members or any, any resources that are necessary that way. He's got to provide. He's going to be paying bills that everybody else is not paying. Right? He's going to have responsibilities that other people are not going to have. So there's a reason why God said, hey, give them twice as much. Give them two portions of the inheritance. So it's possible that this is the younger brother who's saying, hey, I don't want one third. I want, I want half. Tell him he's got to divide it evenly. Another, another possibility is that some of the families would say, hey, let's not divide it up at all. Let's just keep it all together. We can all live on the property. We can all utilize these resources. And that way, we're going to save some money. It's a more economic choice. And perhaps this guy is saying, no, no, no. I want to go off on my own. So break it up. You know, you know, diversify the whole thing. Whichever case it is, the fact that Jesus brings up covetousness indicates what this guy is asking is more than he was allotted legally. He's desiring something that doesn't belong to him. And Jesus is saying, hey, you need to be, you need to be aware of that. that. That goes back to what the, the scribes and the Pharisees are doing. That is, that's leaven. You don't, want to, you don't want to mess with that. He says, guard yourself against all covetousness. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So perhaps this brother is saying, hey, people are going to look down on me if I don't have as much as my brother. Or I'm not going to be able to buy all the stuff that I want to buy like my older brother. And he says, but there's more to life than that. You need to recognize that covetousness is actually doing damage to you, more damage than you are feeling by being one who doesn't have as much of this inheritance. And so the bigger problem is the covetousness. Now, he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, I want you to be a judge over us in this legal dispute. And Jesus says, who put me in charge of that? You know, who made me the judge of that? Now, he's Jesus. He could have said, okay, here's, here's what you should do. And, and several rabbis would do that. They would settle these types of disputes. But what's interesting is Jesus turns it on him and says, I won't judge you on that, but I will judge you on your covetousness, which is something only God is going to judge us on. So, so Jesus kind of turns it on him and says, well, if you want me to be your judge, I'll, I'll be your judge. Let me just tell you, what you're doing right now is going to bring you into trouble. More so than what you think your brother deserves for what he's done. So Jesus doesn't settle the dispute. He does tell us all how to think about this. And, and if, if what we're driving for is, I want to get more from me, he says, whoa, beware of that. That's dangerous. 
don't, don't, follow into, don't fall into that pit of saying, I need more in this life. Recognize the spiritual danger you're putting yourself into for something that's going to rot, be spent, be given over to somebody when you're, di- when, when you're dead. He's like, it's not worth that. Right? So he does, he does help the whole group learn how to think about that matter, even without resolving that. And so then he tells this parable. And in the, in the parable, what he's saying is, okay, you say you want this inheritance, you want more of this inheritance from your brother, but recognize this other guy, he had more than you have. Even if you had the whole inheritance, you wouldn't have as much as this guy. And he lost it the day he got it. Do you not see it's not that important to you to have this amassed wealth? It doesn't matter what kind of possessions you have. It's not true that he who dies with the most toys wins. He who dies with the most toys is still dead. He doesn't get to play with the toys. Toys go to somebody else. Right? So he's saying, do you see that there is something much greater in importance than what we have in this life? Now, again, why does he want more? Maybe it's for prestige. He doesn't want to be looked down on. He, doesn't want to, he, doesn't, he wants people to see what he's got. Maybe it's that he wants uh, more food, more comforts. Maybe it is, and, and I think this is probably true, at least a little bit in all of us, that we would rather be self-sufficient than dependent. If I had more money, I wouldn't have to wonder how I'm going to pay all my bills. Put that next to, I would have to trust in God to provide for my needs. And I would have to spend more time in prayer. And I would actually have to have faith that he's going to give me exactly what I need, maybe not what I want. If I have more money, I can make the choices of doing all the stuff that's comfortable for me, and I can have the kind of life that this guy's having. Versus your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things and desires to give you abundantly. So perhaps it is that what we are striving for is independence from God. A self-sufficiency where I don't have to ask God for anything because I've already got all that I need. And what we miss out on that is not only does God want to give us things that we need in here, but we do need God. And if all we're seeing is our physical, like our our clothes, our food, those types of things, then we are short-sighted just like this guy. We're not seeing our true need of God and the fellowship that we need to have with him on a regular basis. And so we've missed the bulk of what true life is. We're also missing the importance of our relationship with God within this life, and we're very short-sighted. And so we don't want to fall into this trap, and Jesus wants to make sure his disciples don't fall into it either. And so he continues. That's why verse 22 starts off with, therefore, right? He says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. You might have expected him to say greedy or covetous. So don't be like those people. Don't be covetous like those, those brothers were, or at least the younger brother was. Don't, don't, don't be covetous. No, he says, don't be anxious. What was driving that covetousness was this anxiety. Maybe it was anxiety over what he wanted. But there's, there's perhaps, we'll say, semi-legitimate anxiety sometimes we have over our needs. A bill is coming due, and we don't have that much money in the bank. 
And suddenly we start to say, how am I going to fix this problem? Not, I wonder why God put me in this situation. Maybe I need to spend more time in prayer. Maybe I need to have confidence in what God has provided and be content with what I have. Maybe God's looking to, to, to do what James says in chapter 1. Maybe God's looking to stretch my faith by putting me in a difficult situation. And rather than run out from underneath it, I need to do what James said, and I need to stay under that trial. Feel the weight of that pressure and recognize God's the one that can deliver me when it's right for him to do so. And until then, I need my faith to be strengthened. He says, don't be anxious about your life. What you'll eat nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. He's been saying this over and over and over again, but have we missed it? There's more to life than physical things. There's more to life than the things that God knows you need. It's not to say it's not important. He's just saying there's a lot more to it. And when, and when we get short-sighted and just focus on those things, it prompts us to be anxious. It almost pushes us into anxiety. And Christ is trying to teach us there's great relief from all anxiety when you're not short-sighted. When you're not self-focused. So he says, don't be anxious about these things. Don't be anxious about your life or about food or about clothes. Because life is isn't just about these material things. He said that back in verse 15. He says it here in verse 23. Life's more, life is more than just material things. Then he uses some comparisons. And uh, in verse 24, he talks about the Ravens. And this is not a football team in Baltimore, okay? If you're worried about those Ravens, um, we can talk later, all right? All right, so he says... Uh, I lost my place. Here we go. Consider the ravens. Verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Why does he say that? I mean, has, any, has anybody ever wondered, how, what do ravens spend their time doing? Like, do they ever plant crops? Do they ever harvest crops? Do they ever build barns? No, we know this. Why is he talking about this then? I mean, it points us right back to that parable. Here's a rich guy who was a farmer. He sowed lots of plants. He reaped lots of plants. He built barns and storehouses. Ravens don't do any of that. And Jesus' point is to say, here's this rich guy, and what did he spend all his time and all of his energy doing? Stuff that ravens don't do. And why did he do that? Well, partially because he was anxious. I got to have food. I got to have stuff. He goes, but look at the ravens. They, they don't think that way. And, and do you see them starving? He's like, no, in fact, God feeds them. So if you're sitting here going, I need to figure out how I'm going to get food. He's like, the ravens don't do that. Even though I wouldn't say ravens have faith, Right? They're not worried because God keeps feeding them. 
So they don't have to plan ahead. They don't have to build barns or storehouses or plant or reap or any of that stuff. They just know God's going to give it to them. They're going to get the food. And he says, look at that and think about that. If a raven isn't worried about these things, why are you? Why are you so worried? Why are you so anxious? Look at these birds. They're not, they're not anxious and they're not doing the stuff that you would do to try to provide for yourself. And they're still getting fed. Why? Because God's good. God cares. God knows the need and God is wanting to provide for that need. Trust in God. Then he makes a comparison between flowers and Solomon. Verse 27. I, I'm going to back up in a second, but, but look at verse 27. He makes another comparison. He says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. All right? So he says, Go check out the flowers with their little sewing machines and their crocheting needles and hooks and all that stuff. And you go, No, they don't do that. They don't go to Hobby Lobby or Joanne Fabrics. They don't, they don't go to any of these places. They don't buy supplies. They just, they just hang out there. And he's like, and God clothed them in such splendorous array that Solomon's clothes didn't even compare. They didn't work for it. They didn't worry about it. They, they never thought about it. God just did it. And he's like, so if God did that for a flower that's here one day and then gone the next day, don't you think he cares more about you than that flower? So why are you worrying? Think about the flowers, right? So it's very similar types of comparisons between lilies and ravens, okay? But he says something else in verses 25 and 26, that anxiety does not improve our situation. So not only does God care, but, but let's just be logical about this. What is the benefit of the anxiety? What is it actually accomplishing? Verse 25, he says, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So he's like, so... Tell me the, the advantage to the anxiety. Like, what is that actually accomplishing? If you, were, if you were able to amass all your anxiety, would it add to your life? And the doctors will say, no, it'll take away from your life. Like, that kind of stress usually pushes you the other direction. And, and he's saying, so if you recognize that there's no actual benefit to the anxiety, what's the point of it? What's the point of it? So trust in God. Recognize your anxiety is not accomplishing anything. And look to the fact that God cares for you. He cares for you greater than the birds, greater than the flowers. This goes all the way back to verses 6 and 7. He says it there, he says it in 24, he says it in 28, he says it in 32. God cares more for you than them, and he's taking good care of them. So rest in his care, rest in his provision, rest in his power, and don't be so anxious. But he is also telling us that there's something more important to be focused on. Notice verse 31. He said, instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he says, focus in on God's kingdom and don't be so enamored with these physical things. Don't spend your time trying to amass this huge fortune. Don't spend your time worrying about where you're going to get food and clothes and all those things. He's like, God loves to give you the things that you need. Focus on his kingdom. And in fact, with your possessions, rather than hoarding them to yourself, he says, yeah, go sell them. Give to the poor. Right? And James has talked about that in chapter 1 as well. But, but here he's saying, he, what, what you're doing is you're being a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. He's given you the means, financial, energy, life, strength, all of these things he's given to you, not for you to hoard to yourself, but for you to demonstrate your love to him and your love to your neighbor. And that is how you make yourself rich to God. He says, so when you do that, when you're doing what God has, has called you to do, those two great commandments, you're doing that. He says, you're laying up treasure that, that will never rot. It'll never spoil. This is language from, from James 5, but he says it here. Money bags that do not grow old, a treasure that does not fail. No thief can steal, no moth can destroy it. You, know, you could save up a lot of money to get a really nice outfit, and it's going to get destroyed at some point. But what you do when you lay up treasure in heaven never gets spoiled. And it lasts longer than your lifetime on this earth. It lasts forever. So he says, so, so, so don't be so short-sighted. Don't be so self-centered. Don't do what this rich fool did. Rather, fear the Lord and, and think what he tells us to think. Have good theology is another way of saying that. All right, so two questions in application. Does your focus on yourself cause you to be anxious? Does your focus on yourself cause you to be anxious? That is, do you get to the place where you say, hey, I've got these needs, and I need to figure out a way to take care of these needs? Or do you say, God knows I have these needs. I need to trust in him. I need to lay all my anxiety to him because he cares about me. Second question, does our focus on self cause us to be covetous? Is do we say, yeah, I got some stuff, but I really want more. I wish I had as much as that person. I, I, I wish someone would give me this. Or it'd be nice if, you know, as Tevia says, you know, if, if riches are a curse... May the good Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover. Right? Sometimes we just think, man, that would be nice. Well, is that causing us to be covetous? Rather than to be focused on the goodness of our God and recognize that he delights to give us what we need and even more than what we need. Here he starts off by saying, beware of this leaven of the, the, the Pharisees and beware of covetousness. What he's saying is the enemy is going to try to tempt you the way he tempts everybody in the, in the Bible. You know, go back to the, the Garden of Eden. God says, all these trees you can eat from freely. There's only one you can't have. And Satan says, ignore 
all the trees you can eat from freely and focus only on what you don't have. We totally miss the, the huge bounty and blessing God has given us and what he is intending to give us. And all we do is we focus on, but he didn't give me this. And this is what I want. And what we should want is more of God, not more of his gifts. So let us guard ourselves against anxiety by trusting in Christ and thinking on the fact that he cares for us, desires to meet our needs. Let's uh, overcome or, or put ourselves on guard against covetousness, recognizing he gives us what we need when we need it. And, and if we don't have it, we don't need it. All right? That's according to his wisdom, not ours. And so may we meditate on this. May we rejoice that he's giving us great relief from anxiety by demonstrating to us how greatly he cares for us and how he desires to accomplish these things for us, to provide for our needs, and to give us life more abundantly. So rather than focus on what we don't have, recognize, look at all that God has given me. I'm going to praise him for that. So let's do that now. Heavenly Father, again, we are thankful for the truth that is found in your word. And we ask that you would guard our hearts, help us to fight against covetousness. It, it does seem to be uh, something that's very easy for us, something perhaps we're prone to in our sin nature. And we ask that you would give us help, give us grace to fight against covetousness, to, to look at the many blessings you've given to us, to recognize that you do care greatly for us, that you know everything about us intimately. You know what we need. You know what we want. And you provide for us so much more than we actually need. So help us to be grateful for that and to recognize that we can always depend upon you rather than be anxious. Rather than being covetous, Lord, might we praise you for the many blessings you've given to us. Might we seek to be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us and recognize if we had more, that would just be more responsibility more things that we would need to use in order to glorify you for eternity. And so we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to be faithful with what you have entrusted to us. Make us good stewards. And might we serve and please Jesus the way that uh, you've designed us to do. Might we follow after his example, not seeking to be served, but, but to serve and to give of ourselves, to show love for you and love for our neighbor. We need your help for this, and so we ask for it, that we might glorify you and we might make Christ's name great in this world. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, don't